Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, what's up everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you're all having an amazing day so far. I am so grateful and so excited to be introducing this week's just vibrant, energizing, lovely guest, Miss Lindsay Sikornik. So I met Lindsay at a event a few years ago and we briefly connected then and I got to following her on social media. And over the years, I've just seen her pour her heart and soul into the world. And I mean, when you hear her speak on this week's episode, you're going to feel her energy, that massive just zest for life and this authenticity that's only actually possible when someone chooses to go inward, when someone chooses to to shed all that they are not so they can step into the greatest expression of who they are. And Lindsay is that. I mean, she's the founder of Alive and Awake. She's a transformational leadership coach, and she guides leaders and entrepreneurs to a place of recharge, reset, and relaunch. And as a result, um, helps her clients discover and share their authentic selves to reach their peak potential and performance. I mean, this was just such a fun conversation. I mean, I rarely meet others that are as dedicated to going inward and sort of unraveling the mystery of who they are and shedding egos and and pushing the limits of their creative pursuits. You know, and that's one of the things I really was inspired by Lindsay. I mean, she's working on so many different projects and pouring herself into so many different things, but the energy that enters into everything she does is the same. That's something we really unpack a lot of on this episode. It's not what you do, it's who you are. It's the energy that comes alive inside of every single creation in front of you. And I just appreciate her. I appreciated this reminder to continue loving myself as I push my edge. I appreciated the reminder that it's okay to let go of the idea of you so that you can step into bigger and bigger versions or or versions that are more whole or lifestyles that are just so much more in alignment with who you are and everything that comes as a result of that. So if you're looking for a shot of energy in a conversation about what it takes to navigate sort of the highs and lows, the ups and downs, the the roller coaster of authenticity and authentic living. This is a conversation that is that is for you. So enjoy it. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on iTunes or any of the podcast apps. All that means that every single time we release a new episode, it drops straight into your inbox. Tag us on social media with anything that may have resonated with you on the show. Leave a review. Let me know if any of this content is resonating. I love hearing from you guys. It makes my heart so happy. And I'm so grateful that you are choosing to spend some time with us each week. It really, really, really does make my day. 
knowing that I get to spend a few moments with you. So thank you for giving me your attention and giving this platform a voice. Just means the world to me. So anyways, uh, without further ado, though, here is the amazing Miss Lindsay Sikornik. Enjoy. Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everyone? And welcome to this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you are all having a dashing day so far. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited for our conversation and so excited to be reconnecting with you here. Oh my gosh. Like I, I just love that we actually set aside some intentional time to connect before this. <laughs> like, Because like, uh, just hearing about you and your story and your journey and all the the yummy creative juice that's been flowing through life in your it just it's been it's fun and i i want to start with maybe describing the creative process the creative process that you've been going through and why you haven't been shying away from it oh that's such a good question the the whole creation process creative process creative energy is something that i've become so acutely aware of and in awe of and in tune with and i didn't really think about it throughout most of my life although when i look back i've always been a creator and a creative person everything from creative writing when i was a kid in elementary school and speaking and orals and and different forms of i didn't i wasn't an, a visual artist so i didn't consider myself to be creative if you would have said are you creative i was like no i'm good at math and science and other things and so this whole creative process as i've experienced it in my life creating everything from from work from writing children homes life connections it's become clear to me that that it's the life force energy creativity and creation is the connection to the divine the conduit through which the divine speaks and so when i think about the creative process what i think about now at this stage in my life and in my career and having worked with so many creative geniuses over the years and having allowed my own creativity to be expressed and and shine i see it as a little bit of a i would say like a cyclical process of a continuum of i call it clearing the vessel which is where we do the deep deep inner work of healing the trauma healing mm -hmm. the triggers removing any blockages that might be getting in the way of us being fully expressed in whatever way that means. Like I really buy into the idea that life is art. Mm. So this could literally just be like the outfit you pick out in the morning to walk down the street in or the conversation you have with the barista, like the living art of life is how I think of creativity. But it also for me has looked like channeling a book that I wrote in four months because it wouldn't shut up in my ear. Like it just, the sentences kept showing up and I couldn't not write. It was literally like birthing a baby. Like it would, it would and stop coming. I'm like, enough already. Fine, I'll write it. And every single other kind of version of, of creation. So first, I think the important part is to get out of your own way, whether that's limiting beliefs, whether it's procrastination, time, whatever it is that might be in your way of being self-doubt, judgment from others, et cetera, et cetera. There's an infinite number of potential blockages or traumas or wounding or whatever it may be. I like to imagine them as like these kind of like sticky pieces of tar that are just mm, kind of yeah. blocking, blocking the vessel. And I like to think of us in our purest nature in the human form as these sort of like cylindrical, almost like a vase, but with no top or bottom. 
And in our purest states, we can just be these vessels for divine love, divine light to be as kids are when they're first born. They're just full of love and full of joy and creation and make believe and they're they're unguarded and they're they're fully expressed. And I really believe that's who we are in our purest forms. And it's just life and society and social conditioning and maybe past lives if you're into that and whatever it is that kind of create these sticky spots or these this stickiness and these blockages that can kind of block it. So the first piece I think of the creative process is to really do your best to constantly be clearing the vessel. And that can be at the meta level, like, for example, exiting relationships that are no longer serving us or moving to different places or, you know, any number of kind of meta choices that we might make to clear up doing very deep healing work, for example, going deep, deep dive transformational work. So it could be very intense and big in those ways, but it could also be as simple as a daily practice or going for a walk on the beach or taking a deep breath or whatever, whatever your thing is that clears you. It's like little and big. It's all, it's all connected. I think that's what I've begun to realize because making choices that expand you, like moving to a city or getting out of a relationship or choosing to go inward or experiencing anything, like making those choices force you to evolve and find new practices yes. and regulate your nervous system and get to know the authentic you, that column yes. of you that you, I love the vase sort of visual. To me, that feels very fitting in that it's like this column of, free-flowing energy. And I, at least for me, like when you say tar, like I always like to think of it as scar tissue around my heart. Like when my, and cause my heart is that source of infinite sort of creativity. It's the, it's the source that's connected to intuition. It's connected to nature. It's connected to all things that breathe and move and live the cosmos. And when we listen to our hearts and we're allowing the flow of intuition or what to come through, we're creating in our highest and best good. We're creating with the universe. And that's difficult. When you listen to the calling in your heart and you start creating and allowing that to flow through you, anything that isn't resonating at that level, any fear, any judgments, any insecurities, any any obstacles, maybe a relationship, a business partner, a reality, all of these things become confronting, like they become opportunities to ascend. Absolutely. 100% agree with you. And, and that's when I said it's cyclical. It's always evolving, you know, and one set of practices and rituals and perspectives that serves you at a certain stage of your evolution may shift and grow and change as you're either introduced to new ways of being or, or, or no longer necessary. So it's absolutely cyclical. And it's interesting because it, we talk about kind of expanding the depth and the height of, of what it is to be alive it never gets easier. So for example, doing deep inner work, I remember the first couple of times I, I kind of had a, a shattering slash awakening or breakdown to break through. I was like, thank God that's over. Like, yeah. thank God I never have to do that kind of work again. <laughs> it's like yeah. two years later, you get another smackdown and another. And so it's like, it's not that it gets any easier, but, but the work, the work gets deeper. And it, and if we're available to, the surrender and the acceptance and ultimately the embracing of it, that becomes the the material and the richness for the creative process. You mm. know, it's like in my darkest days and my darkest moments are when I've had the self-awareness or the insights or the ahas or the wisdom that just gets locked in either immediately or over time through integration, which 
ultimately become the stories I tell or the yeah. conversations I want to have or just the way that I show up in in the world. For example, showing up in love, like doing enough inner work that you don't really care if anyone thinks you're weird for just walking through the planet, loving humans, like that was actually a very shameful thing for me when I was in my early twenties, I felt so weird because I had all this love in my heart mm. and I thought it was a freak show because I could just walk down the street and fall in love with 17 strangers on like an average Tuesday afternoon. And I'm like, this is weird because I had been taught you're only supposed to love your parents, your siblings, maybe your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever. And this whole idea of, of limitless love of unconditional love for me felt shameful at first. I thought it was, I was weird. So that's an example where clearing that, that darkness can open a new way of showing up on the planet, which is to show up in love and, and in service. So first clearing the vessel, I think is the most important ongoing process for the creative process. And then as I was just alluding to, the more that we clear and the more that we expand and grow, we can start to access different levels of consciousness you mentioned several that I'm obsessed with in my own life and, and teaching others also in, in my transformational leadership work. So things like trusting your intuition, how to get into flow state, how to, I call it, listen to the whispers of the infinite intelligence of what's coming through when we tap into using tools like meditation. You mentioned nature, all my favorite movement practices, music, dance, any ways that we can get into a trance-like state is, you know, it's ancient, ancient, ancient wisdom and basic human behavior. It opens the portals to creativity to ultimately just flow through us. And so when I think about creativity, I don't think about myself as creator. I think about myself as the vessel for creation. And I am basically just constantly at this stage of my life and development, just listening all day, every day. I always joke that I'm like, I'm employed by spirit. Like I get my marching orders. <laughs> I'm like, usually a minute to minute basis, de you know, definitely hour to hour, day by day. And then of course you do your long-term visioning and your intention setting and all that stuff. But then the universe usually loves to have a good giggle when you think you know where life is going to head. That's when you get the real then smack come down yeah, in my I was experience. Say, I was like, the second <laughs> And you think you know is the second she shakes up the snow globe and turns it upside down exactly. for a few minutes. And it's all coming back to deeper levels of trust, right? Trust in the universe, trust in self, at least for myself. Like I feel like when I'm going through my own seasons, right? The the cyclical natures where I'm I'm hit, like it's not necessarily like I love that analogy of the depth. Like each time I get to expand and experience deeper levels of what I'm here to experience. But I still feel like I'm spiraling upwards. So it's like I'll move through the same, let's say like for me, like my my biggest, I guess my soul's expanse. If I if I find a common theme, it's self-trust. It's battling judgment and self-trust. So like I'll move through one layer of that and then I'll continue creating. And as I get to the to a bigger boss, it's like there's a bigger challenge in life that will evoke a deeper cut of the same wound. And because I have more tools, more awareness, more beingness, more more connection, I can now navigate those journeys with more grace. Not they're not necessarily it doesn't necessarily change the difficulty of the situation, but my ability to respond or to navigate the situations have have changed because I am changing. And so it's like this there's this cyclical nature upwards. Like I feel like love is always resonating at those higher levels. So when we let go of what's dense, that dense matter, the trauma, the shame, the judgment, 
those lower frequency sort of states when we when we when we let go we naturally begin to evolve in a in a, in a lighter fashion but as we do we keep hitting the next levels i think this is something i realized for myself like i, I think at one point when i really started like doing the work and going inward and being in it like i I, I thought I was trying to get somewhere like, Oh, like I'm going to get to this point. And now I think I've realized I'm never actually going to get anywhere. It's just a lifestyle of awareness and growth and expansion that I'm, that I get to embody. And that's where, at least where I've learned. I don't know if you have any thoughts on, on just anything I shared. Yes. I agree with absolutely everything that you have said. And I, I really also resonate with that, the idea of the spiral analogy, because yes, we can revisit these themes, but it's never in the same way or at the same place. Because as you shared, we've expanded literally, you know, we've grown, we've shifted our perspective, time and space and life experience. And one of my favorite um, expressions that I, I love to share is that we can only fly as high into the light as we've had the courage to go deep and to go low. Mm -hmm. So I guarantee you that if you speak to anybody you think on the planet is radiant and full of love and full of energy and full of vibrancy, that if you ask them about their story, I can with 100% certainty guarantee they will have a story of deep darkness that they've had to transcend and to go through. And as you alluded to as well, it's like when you make yourself available to be in self-inquiry, to be awake, to be on the path of, of self-expansion, self-awareness, self-transcendence, it's like the universe keeps giving you bigger and bigger and bigger opportunities for growth slash challenges slash whatever you want to call it. And so what you develop, as you shared, is really the ability to become comfortable being uncomfortable. And so it's not that fear ever goes away or self-doubt or any of those things is that we, we learn to live with them. We learn to embrace them. We learn to maybe even celebrate them like, oh, good, I'm scared. That must mean I'm doing something new. I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. We can start to reframe. We can develop the tools. And just as you, I love what you said about navigating it with grace and self-love and self-compassion. And for me, those are those are the kind of holy grails that allow us, as you said, to navigate through. I totally agree with you. I do not think there's anywhere to go. There's, there's no destination. There's it's like, there's nowhere to get to. And I just love this idea of like Alice in Wonderland style, just like wandering through life and seeing what adventures are waiting for us. And adventure could look like divorce. It could look like failures of business. It could look like moving to new countries. It could look like getting asked to write a book when you've never written any books in your life and deciding to do it. And so it's really about literally gathering those tools, like the toolkit to navigate with grace, with curiosity. And the thing I really like also about the idea of the density and learning how to clear it, live with it, move through it, is that the more that we're able to bring those areas of darkness to the light, like truly the enlightenment, whether it's shame or fear or self-doubt or whatever it is that that's real for people or, or seems real, let's say, seems real. Mm. We could argue it's not real. It's all an illusion, Love that. which we would all agree. I think the things that feel real, that appear real, those are what make us vulnerable to staying there. For example, if I have self-doubt and somebody judges me, I'm far more likely to take it personally and to be shattered by it then if I've done a lot of work to heal that part of myself and to get into a place of self-acceptance, self-love, accepting my own ability to fail, to be any number of things that I might have judged myself for, it, it becomes a spiral because if I'm no longer available 
for anyone's judgment, it creates a sense of freedom and this creative space that I can play in where it's truly expansive because I'm not limited by anyone's thoughts about me, opinions about me, because I'm clear about who I am. I've cleared my own vessel. I love myself well, in my ugliness, in my failings, in my everything. I'm like, I'm good. I got it. And that's it. the thing, like when that isn't there, like, you know, a trigger, you can't get triggered if the gun's not loaded. You know what I mean? Like, so yes. it's like that thing that's happening is because you haven't integrated it within yourself. And I'm curious, you know, because I want to actually to you, I think you said something really important around those feelings, those thoughts, those judgments appearing to be real. Can you actually unpack that a little bit for anyone listening who actually might feel like they were born away a certain way? Or, you know, my parents are like this, so I'm like this. Like there's these always truths that we cling our identities onto, but those those identities lead to suffering. And, and, and I'd love to maybe have you actually expand on that just because I think it's such an empowering idea that you can actually change. <laughs> Yeah, this this is so great. I actually just shared this this analogy with a client like two days ago. So it's so fresh. I'm so glad you asked this question because I was gifted this insider awareness like many, many, many years ago, partly thanks to the movie The Matrix when it first, first came out. But at the same time, I was also deeply immersed in the yogic path, taking very deeply immersed in, in the practice of yoga, teacher trainings, etc. So it's rooted for me and also constantly studying psychology, human behavior, leadership. So I come at it from like very many academic, psychological, spiritual, wisdom traditions, pop culture perspectives. But the bottom line is that I received this, this knowing in my early 20s that it's all made up. It's literally all made up. And so the word that they use in Sanskrit is maya, which is the veils of illusion, that we see all of life through the lenses of our perceptions, through our interpretations, through our narratives, through the imprinting we've been given. And this is very fascinating to me because, you know, I'm very rooted in the yogic tradition and they talk about some skaras, which are basically like scars that get passed down through past lives. They believe in reincarnation. And again, I'm I'm not a proponent of any particular spiritual path or belief. I'm very curious about all of them and open to all of them, not a religious person, but I love to study different wisdom traditions and, and see what the kind of metaphors or the the uh, similarities are, and then link those to science and link those to modern day research, because I, I have yet to find a lot of discrepancies or any really between ancient wisdom traditions and modern science. In fact, the science is just catching up to what a lot of the wisdom traditions in indigenous cultures have been talking about forever. And so when we look at this idea of whether you consider it in terms of reincarnation and samskaras, like in your past lives or consecutive, you know, concurrent lives. If you're into multi multiverse theories, there's a million different rabbit holes. We could go down on this or literally from epigenetics that there's scientific evidence-based research that what happens in one generation changes the DNA and can show up, whether it's collective trauma, for example, of Holocaust survivors, descendants, or they've done studies in mice where they shock them, they give them a certain smell of a cherry blossom and shock them. And four generations later, cortisol gets released in the descendant of that mouse because they smell cherry blossoms. So this is epigenetics. It's reincarnation. However you want to look at it, there can be imprints. But the idea is that we're we're imprinted. And so when we start to become aware of the fact and, and whether you look at it through the, the movie, The Matrix, and a lot of what's arguably in, happening in our world right now, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's storytelling, there's media, there's there's, you know, religion, education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
and even into the the kind of far out thought experiment, you know, Star Trek style of that it's all a hologram, even you can play with that thought experiment. So wherever you fall on that area of of inquiry, if you literally just look at it from from kind of a psychology basis that we gather evidence, confirmation bias, we gather evidence to prove ourselves right, whatever it is that our viewpoint is, we have the opportunity to pause and just ask ourselves, like, what is my programming? What is my lens that I'm viewing the world through? What are my narratives? What are my beliefs? And it can be a huge mindfuck because once you realize like it's actually a huge mindfuck because it's like, wait a minute. And this can be that really like that dark night of the soul yeah. when it can it can really throw you for a loop. Because when you start to realize that everything you thought was real, every kind of socially constructed belief or agreement or role that you were playing or societal belief that you bought into or authority figures that you trusted you realize that it was all made up and sometimes not in your best interest, but in the best interest of, of others or power or et cetera, et cetera. It can be very scary and very shattering. So this is a time when I think it's really that path, that fork in the road of taking the, the blue pill or the red pill or in the hero's journey analogy is like the universe ringing the phone and you like either pick up the call or you don't, or you're like, I'm not listening to this right now. That's the moment of opportunity to awaken. But when we wake up to this reality, it can be very shattering at the same time. And that's really what can start to force us if we're available for the journey to start to peel back all of the layers. And ultimately, for some of us, if this is our dharma, as it is mine, and I think it is yours, question everything. What is real? What are the stories I've made up? What have I been imprinted in? Again, genetically, socially, whatever it may be. But on the flip side of the death of reality as we thought we knew it is the rebirth into getting to discern and decide what we choose to be real, what choice. realities we choose to being at choice, being making conscious choices. And if nothing else, just constantly being in discovery mode of like, what else do I not know? Like, I don't know what I don't know. And yeah. the more I learn, the more I know that I know nothing. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, anytime I meet someone who thinks they know and have advice to give, I run for the hills. I'm like, oh, they are so new on the journey. Yeah. If they think they know anything, I'm like, run for the hills. People are like, what should I do? I'm like, I have no idea. I can barely run my own life. I'm like, I can ask you some good questions, give you some feedback, mirror for you, but that's all I got. And I, and I love that piece that you just said there that, you know, like at the end of the day, like even you as a coach or a space holder, it's about asking great questions. It's the awareness to take a pause. And yes, there, it is scary to ask yourself those questions because especially if you're not ready to hear the answer, there's a whole fear. And yes. if you're not ready to hear the answer, most people just don't ask questions. Like I know a lot of people in my life yes. that just aren't asking themselves the questions because they're actually very afraid of what that might create. Would that mean they have to end a relationship? Would that mean that they have to walk away from a religion that they've dedicated their entire lives to? Would that mean that they have to lose friends or find new social circles or go start over again in some way, shape or form? And I think there's fear at the core of it, right? There's that fear. How do you inspire the courage to go anyway, to look anyways, even when there's all of that, that potential shake up the potential collateral damage that can come from inquiring and, and going into the belly of the beast. 
Mm. Oh my gosh, I love this question. The thing that I've become aware of, and I've been doing this work for 20 years already this year, is you cannot force anybody to embark on the hero's journey or heroine's journey if they're not ready. So one of my friends who's also a healer was sharing this idea of threshold. People need to be at threshold in order to get the courage or the tenacity or the humility or whatever, all of the above that are required to start to do the work that you just described. And oftentimes what that looks like are crucible moments, are shattering moments. You know, it's it could be the, the relationship ending, the health scare, the existential crisis, the mental health crisis, whatever it is. And so when I, this is like, kind of like my like sixth sense of humor or my sixth sense of the beauty of life is like it's I say sick in a joking way because when people are in like massive trauma and massive crisis I am like okay good like maybe now they're going to be ready there's yeah. a beauty to those shattering sure. moments it's like the beauty in the breakdown there's a great line from a song it's like what's the beauty in the and so if anybody's in one of those shattering places right now or fearing it it's like leaping off a cliff, you know, it's like the worst part is when you're standing off the edge. And as soon as you leap, there's actually like a freedom and an exhilaration and a surrender that's required, which is really the path to freedom and the path to emancipation is the the recognizing that none of us are in control and none of us know anything. And the suffering comes usually from the illusion that we are in control or that we can control outcomes. And so for me, I, I think it's like very juicy. And it's definitely when people usually reach out to me is when they're having a giant breakdown, crucible moment, shattering time in their life. And so for me, there's no inspiring of anyone to do the work. It's like, have they reached their rock bottom? Have they reached their crucible moment? Is the pain of not changing greater than the fear of doing the work it requires to change? And that's that's an individual choice. And I'm just really always just there, as you shared, to hold space, to ask questions, and mostly just to pour love on them. And when they're not able to maybe love themselves or see where what's possible for themselves, I, I just see nothing but beauty and nothing but love. And I think that as holders of space, as you as you beautifully articulated, I think that's the greatest gift that we can give people. You can't like it's like that expression. You, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And I have made the mistake many times, especially early in my career of trying to like you know, spread the gospel of all the things that I know and all the helpful tools and the meditation and the this and the this and and people are just not ready. And the more that you try to like force it onto people or share, even though it's coming from a place of love or excitement or passion or concern, it actually has the opposite effect. People start to resist more. And there's also an arrogance to it, if I'm being honest about like, I know better than you or I have, I know what's right for your life. And so now I'm just, I'm just here in service. I'm just like, Hey, if you want it, here you go, but come and ask for it. And I share creatively, whether it's on social or doing beautiful conversations like this, only from a place of service, from a place of like, here's what I got so far. But as I said, I know nothing. And the more I know, the more I, I realize how little I know. And so it's just about this shared human experience, the collective experience, like we're all in this together 
And some of us might have had a little more time on certain down certain paths, whether like, oh, I just came through a divorce or, oh, I just had a big weight loss experience or I whatever the story had overcame a mental health crisis. So we just might have a little more of that kind of life experience and therefore some of those tools in our toolkit that we can be of service to each other. So that's how I see it. I so resonate with that. I've certainly shared that desire, that need. It's like a craving to control someone else's journey or to to influence it or send them in the right direction. It's because I can see ahead. I'm 10 steps ahead of you and I know the right way. And and I found for myself, especially when it comes to health, if I have friends that are experiencing health crises or they're not healthy, I just want to be like, dude, come on, like do this, 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 and this, and you'll be fine. And in my mind, I actually, I realized for myself that that was actually my own fear of losing them. What I didn't want to feel was the actual fear that like, it was the fear of grief. Like, how would I feel in my heart if something happened to them and they didn't do all these things that I wanted them to do? And, and so even in that expression right there, my desire to control another person's journey is actually me being afraid of feeling something deep in myself. There's a darkness, there's a shadow that I don't want to face, whether it's death or mortality or the eventual impermanence of everything that we're experiencing in life. I mean, there's, there's, there's an aspect of truth that I don't want to be with. And I then project or I start fixing and I start twinkering, I start doing all the things, but it's actually a bypass of me going inward. And, and, I, and I think that's, that's so tricky Because it's so easy to get caught in love. Like, oh, I want to tell someone to do these things because I love them. And when you start to peel behind the curtains and you really start to get intimate with what's driving those needs or those like incessant just desire to control, there's a lot of fear just internally. Yes, absolutely. You're so bang on. And I obviously am like so aligned with everything that you've said. It's like anytime we're we're looking at, externally with any kind of judgment, even if it's with well-intentioned, it's that question of like, what is it that I can't be with in myself? Whether it's more, I love your example of mortality. I've had that very intimate, long-term experience with close family members who I've had to grieve their, their early death so many times because I can see that the health path that they're on and, and to ultimately get to a place of acceptance through grieving, through the actual grieving of that, that possibility but what it again, what as we go through the, the darkness, what it brings for me is the is a feeling of acceptance and ultimately peace and freedom, which allows me to love them exactly as they are and enjoy the time that we have together, free of my fear and my judgment and my all of this. And I'm like by no means clear on this. I still do this. Like my greatest trigger to this day is like seeing people not meeting their own potential. Like it kills me still. And I'm like just like, that's my biggest work, to be honest, yeah. is that. And so I do this work every day. I'm not like, oh, I'm so, so free of this. It's like the love of people. And, and especially when you have the ability to see people and see their light and see what's possible for them. It's literally like watching a movie that they can't see. And you're like, dude, it's like right there, you know? And then you you have to sit back sometimes often watching people sabotage, self-sabotage or do all these things and, and then feel the pain of it and all the other stuff. And 
I think that what you said is is the biggest. Uh, I'm a huge, huge, huge reader of, appreciator of, listener to. Ram Das is one of one of my yeah. main teachers. I'm really deeply, deeply inspired by him, and and really just this idea that we're in the the curriculum of life and using every single human interaction, life experience as an opportunity to look back yeah. within ourselves, as you said, and and get curious about what is it that I can't be with, what is the thing I'm not in deepest acceptance of, and his analogy. Of going into the forest and appreciating every single tree for where it is and its curve and it's, you know, this one's old and that one's tall and we don't judge them. We just appreciate each of their beauty. And so really doing the work every single day to see every human, wherever they may be on their journeys as being perfect, exactly as they are, exactly where they are. And just really rooting back into that unconditional love and reverence for humans is is the work that's the beauty right the what you see in others is what you see in yourself so when you love another unconditionally you're loving yourself unconditionally you're it's all a practice and by no means is this easy it's simple but it's not easy like (laughs) very simple the rubric for a great fulfilling life just love everyone as they are awesome but the actual work the the awareness and the and the self compassion and forgiveness. I think forgiveness has been a, a big one for me because I think I I'm a recovering perfectionist and I've gone down this path of thinking I should have been I could have been better I could have done that and 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 really learning to actually forgive myself for not meeting the fantasy of myself in some way where this perfect utopian never getting triggered da 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 never hurting people always making the right choices and. I think it was a big journey of like that coming back towards, okay, if I can accept other people for not making perfect health choices, if I can, if I can just love others, even though they may not be doing or living up to their highest potential, if, and I think there's this fear as I'm even talking about this, I'm realizing this fear of like, if I love someone else for not reaching their highest potential, there's like this fear of loving myself for not reaching my highest potential, because I feel like that then puts me in this stage of like, oh, well, like it's, it's, it's this interesting mindfuck. Like you said, it's like, if I love someone else for not living out their potential, does that mean I'm going to love myself if I don't live out my potential? Is that okay? It's like this incessant loop that just goes into judgment. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. So what I'm hearing is like, you're questioning whether it would be okay to love yourself, not reaching your potential. You're like, that feels foreign for you to be able to love yourself at like half, half, potential type thing. Yeah. That's something that, that at least in this moment, if I had to be honest with myself, it feels present. That's so beautiful. And this is for me, this is the beauty of life. It's like, oh, wow. I didn't even realize I had that feeling in me or that thought in me. And I wanted to share, I hear what you're saying. And I also like total perfectionist in in recovery one day at a time, like fully, fully feel you on that front. And I work with a lot of uber overachievers. And what I often get asked and have have definitely, I remember my mom once saying to me, she said, you know, it's okay to be mediocre. And I like thought she would have like punched me in the stomach. I'm like, what? No, it is not okay (laughs) to be mediocre because I was such an overachiever perfectionist. That was like telling me it's like, it was like horrible what she was saying to me. Like, it's okay to be average sometimes. And I was like, hell no. It was like gross. It made me want to like throw up. I had such a shadow around mediocrity. And basically what I hear a lot of people asking me, and I've also done like a lot of work about like, I had a whole era of my life where I forced myself to be on the B team. Like I refused to be on like whatever it was. It was actually with parenting was my conscious decision because I was so burnt out 
had this whole kind of like breakdown happening and I had to literally make myself be on the B team, which means that I wasn't had didn't have to be the class parent of every one of my kids' classes. I didn't have to have homemade baking for every single holiday. I didn't, you know, I could do some more takeout instead of cooking everything from scratch. And I literally had to be like, okay, it's okay to be on the B team for just a while. You know, you don't have to be the captain of the A team on every single career and this and so you know, the social coordinator for all your friends and the best dressed and the da 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 is a massive breakthrough for me, which is like, can I love myself in mediocrity? Can I love myself as an average performer? And it was honestly one of the most confronting things I've ever had to do because my perfectionism and my way of feeling loved was through overachievement and performance. So it was basically like telling myself that I was losing my hit, my like heroin dose of love because I was no longer going to be this performer. And so it was very confronting. I had the blessing of of having to go down that that shadow path. But what I hear a lot of people saying is like, if I allow myself to be average or okay or not live up to my potential, I'll become complacent or I'll lose my edge. There's this fear that you'll like, you'll lose it. And, and I just wanted to name that because I didn't know, is that present for you? Is that part of the, like, it's, it's so funny. I just got done reading uh, this book. It's called existential kink and it's about shadow work. And it's the whole, the idea of the book is, you know, we are the creators of our reality. So even the things that you don't want in your reality, you're unconsciously creating it. So in the book, she, she recommends, or she invites you to actually find a lot of pleasure and joy in the things that you don't want in your life. One of the things I realized was I actually create a lot of chaotic situations in my life because I like feeling at my edge. The safety, the the still, the calmness, it's foreign to me. And there's this feeling, and I, and I really dove into it and excavated it, and I started thinking about it. There's this feeling like when I'm at my edge, I'm at my best. And if I don't have an edge to experience Am I at my best? Do I lose myself? Am I even Raj if I'm not in this, like this, if, if I don't have a situation that's allowing me to, to push the edges of who I am and what I'm here to experience. Uh, and so, yeah, that's really, it's really interesting that that's, that actually just, so I, I, was, I was playing oh. with that one last week. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so juicy. So one of my main things that I'm kind of known for is like, find your edge. Like I love the edge of aliveness, but what I realized we've had very parallel, obviously processes. Cause I realized in that kind of B team era of my life, which was probably like six or seven years ago, I realized I was addicted to the adrenaline of being on the edge of having like a full schedule and running from one thing to the other. And and, and now I understand it is like the dopamine addiction and the, the addiction to the cortisol and the it's literally an addiction, like a biochemical addiction to the hormones, the feeling of accomplishment, the feeling of being for me, it was less about being recognized in, in, in any of that. It was more about the doing of the things and the performance of the things. But it is ultimately an addiction. And I think that that's just worth naming because in our society, it's so rewarded and you get like bonuses and in your company purchase and front page news articles written about you for ultimately what I see as being, we talked earlier about in our private conversation about trauma and addiction recovery, I see it as being no less of an addiction than the like heroin junkie down on the street corner. It's just that that kind of addiction gets rewarded which is actually even scarier in a way, because at least if somebody's shooting heroin every day, people are concerned about them and being like, hey, have you thought about a healing journey or, you know, whatever, versus the other kind of addictions that I've certainly had, which is achievement and perfection and 
equally self-destructive. It's subtle, but it can be ultimately certainly spiritually and emotionally and ultimately physically, you know, when we talk about people dropping dead of heart attacks or whatever, relationships die, like a lot of, there's a lot of collateral damage to that type of addiction that I deal with every single day because those are who my main clients are, are usually, you know, leaders and, and high performers. And so I've been, you know, I have a background of addiction in my family on every side and that kind of awareness has been present for me. I think that it's like, it's a very, it's an important place to look. And then the work that I did, which is rooted more in my kind of yogic training and and more of the Buddhist practices is exactly what you're saying is like developing the capacity to be with it all and ultimately to find the deliciousness. So I went through a whole summer of four months and I was living in a trailer with four kids with my kids on this property we had bought. It was like very, you know, in Northern Ontario, bugs and mosquitoes. And I forced myself not to bypass to all my quick fix practices. So I forced myself to sit in loneliness, in boredom, in nothingness. And I tell you, it was confronting and it was dark and it was the most liberating thing because I didn't need to run from those feelings to be in the busyness and the perfection and the achievement. And I, you're what you described in that book, which I already wrote down the name of is like, can we see the beauty in and ultimately delight in every single moment of the human experience? And if there's something there that you're still avoiding, you're still resisting, that's like exactly the time now when you talk about finding your edge, I'm like, ooh, juicy. I'm triggered by this. I'm upset by this. I'm going to dive right in. And it sounds like you're the same. And I get, again, this like sick enjoyment out of it. I'm like, ooh, I'm feeling pain. This is great. I'm going to go right in there and figure out what it is and feel it. And it's like those ice baths that everybody's, I grew up in Northern Ontario and freezing cold water. So I don't get the whole ice bath thing, but I get that they work. But the idea is like, I'm like, why would anyone choose to go in cold water? It's terrible. But I get it. I get that they work. But it's that idea that like the longer you sit in something, eventually it, it loses its intensity and you become, again, able to become comfortable being uncomfortable. And so the, the spoiler alert, I just want to complete this thought with is that contrary to you losing your edge or losing your desire to achieve greatness, what I've observed in myself and in every person I've ever worked with is that when we detach from the addiction, when we stop doing that hungry ghost analogy from Buddhism, that there's this void that we're constantly trying to fill. The Buddhists talk about the hungry ghost of like, it's never enough. It's never enough recognition. It's never enough power. It's never enough sex. It's never enough attention, money, whatever, shoes to fill a void of feeling unworthy or to fill a void of feeling not deserving of love or whatever it is that imposter, whatever your thing is, it's never enough. So the idea is to just sit in the fear of or the boredom or the resistance too long enough that it loses its charge for you. You just become comfortable looking at that part of yourself or the reality of, like you mentioned, the inevitability of death, for example. I sat in that for 10 years, like every single yoga practice during Shavasana, I asked myself the question, could I be okay if today was my last day on the planet, my last day alive? And at first I cried and cried and cried. I'd lie in Shavasana and cry. And I think about my kids and my life and my family. And ultimately I cried so many times and I also changed my life enough in enough ways that I was like, no regrets. I'm good. That, that I, I 
dealt with mortality. And of course, uh, you know, who knows when it eventually happens, but it neutralizes over time. And you just become into that state of equilibrium, of equanimity, of acceptance. But as you said, it, it needs often to come with the deconstruction from the fear or the addiction or whatever. And so what happens in the nothingness or the no thingness, when we get to that place of stillness, is we get to start listening full circle back to your question about creativity, to the whispers of our souls, to the greater inspiration, to the missions that are being asked of us, to the callings. And what we do is we start to create and we start to perform, if we want to think of it in those terms, to, to share and to offer from a place of, of inspiration, of inspired action, of being called to something by something greater than ourselves. And the spoiler alert is that we can achieve infinitely more when we're coming from a place of divine inspiration, collective consciousness, highest intelligence, like infinitely more than we ever in a million years could spinning our ourselves like little no, hamsters on the wheel. So interesting. I always kind of saw it as like my my early successes in business and entrepreneurship were me creating on top of the universe. And when I'm allowing myself to flow and create from my heart. It's like I'm activating. It's not like a a creation of the mind. It's a creation of the full body. It's like the, like, like all my energy centers are lined up and they're all activating and creating in a much more potent manner because I'm creating with the universe instead of on top of her. And like, and I'm appreciating like the, the conversation around the, the edge. Cause I, I think, even that idea, if I lose my edge or if I don't push myself, then I'll lose me. Like, well, I mean, if I'm following my heart and we were talking about this before we started recording, right? Like how with, with eighth fire, like just with everything, like as you've begun, just allowing creations to flow through you, like you're naturally at your edge. It's not like you ever actually lose your edge. You are the edge. Right. Like you can think it. There's a story in your mind that if you stop doing something or if you stop hustling or if you're not the one driving the ship that you're going to be off of the mark. But life will always present opportunities and experiences and moments for you to experience an edge. That's what life is. It's the most powerful mirror. It, it's, it's not something that's a passive bystander. You are actively dancing in life and. Whether you're consciously doing it or not, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm, I can, I can see the absurdity of my own mind right now in thinking that it would lose its edge if I just chilled out. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. And you're literally like what you just described in the second scenario is like you're literally on the edge of creation because when you're being in service of the universe and what's being asked of you, that's the creation energy. That's the life force energy. And so you're, you're by definition creating and on the edge. And also, as we shared earlier, the universe loves to have a good laugh and, and force us to do missions and things like that <laughs> that are usually so far outside of our comfort zones that it's like, seriously, this is a mission. Like, couldn't you get someone who has 20 years life experience in this? And they're like, no, this one's for you. Go figure it out. And you're like, okay, fine. So when you're in service and uh, at least that's been my experience. And I, I also think it has a lot to do with our availability to be fully alive and to be offered these opportunities to learn and to grow and to be hungry for these edge experience, truly edgy experiences. It's so interesting. Like I, you know, like right now I'm doing my first raise. I'm building my first tech product. 
I'm like fully walking away from certain businesses that aren't in alignment anymore that make perfect sense on paper, but aren't where my heart is. And I'm being, and I'm, and I'm pushing and I'm feeling just this expansive, like my soul actually, I realized was never here to achieve. It was here to expand. Like our bodies, our minds are here to achieve. Sure. But our souls are here to expand and that and trusting that expansive nature, trusting that expansive process, trusting what comes inside of the desire or the choice to expand, even if that sometimes means to contract and to rest and to be still and to allow that dance. That's what allows our lives to be art, right? Like I think, did you, I don't know if you used that analogy earlier, but like, it's like your, your, your life becomes the art piece in the creation because you're, you're a full body, like your like your full body, yes. Like all of it is just an expression of you. Every one you help, every story you tell, every product you create, every retreat you host, everything you invest in, everything that brings that that you pour your energy into becomes your art, your dharma, your life. It's just an expression of you. Yes, I love what you just said about expanding versus achieving. It's so beautiful. I've never heard that articulation. And it's it's exquisite what you just said. It's like, what is it? What are we even achieving? What is it to achieve? And when you reframe your entire life to be with the goal of expansion, then even your worst quote unquote failures are a win. Because you're like, ooh, I've never felt this kind of failure before. Or, ooh, I've never felt this kind of heartbreak before. And it's innately expansive. And the way that I think about the human experience, this is how like my criteria for success, if you want to call it success, or like why we're here. I imagine that there's this like giant web of interconnection, which is like every single possible scenario of the human experience, like heartbreak and love and bliss and joy and compassion and all the things. And I think that it's our only goal in life is to kind of experience and map out through our life experience as many of the different facets of what it is to be human as possible. And so it's like a light bright machine and we're just meant to kind of light up all the different so that we we can develop ultimate compassion whether through our own experience or some kind of felt experience. So we, we've lived it a little bit vicariously, maybe in certain circumstances, or at least developed a level of, of, of understanding or compassion around it. And so that's my criteria. It has nothing to do with financial measures or status levels or anything. It's like, am I available for the full experience of what it is to be human so that there's, mm. there's not, there's no stone left unturned, there's no judgment left unchecked. And it's ultimately just like a giant kind of wandering exploration of what it is to be in, in the human experience. And, and I think it's very aligned to what you're saying, just expand and grow and learn. And, uh, and that's the point. Have you seen the movie Soul? Uh, wait, what is it? Is it the it's, cartoon? It's a Disney movie. It's a Disney movie. Yes. It's called Soul yes. and it's about, so you've seen it. So like, it's beautiful. I saw it, but, I, but remind me of the part you were Okay, say, well, yeah. every, I think everybody who's who's resonating with this conversation right now should watch this movie. It's a children's movie and it's about this guy who's like trying to be a musician and he gets his big break, but he steps down a pothole and dies. And the whole movie is about how his soul is trying to go back to being a human. And it's like the story of life and death and purpose and all this stuff. And, you know, I'm just going to ruin it for anybody listening. It's fine. There's a, there's a punchline at the end, which is beautiful. Still worth watching a movie, but it's just relevant for this point where the guy is always like, I have to live my purpose. I have to live my purpose. 
at the end of the movie, he realizes that his soul didn't choose to be a musician. His soul just chose to be alive. Mm-hmm. Soul chose his body. The soul chose to be able to to breathe, to taste pizza, to be able to smell things, to to feel fun sensations. Like the soul created this. Like as much as we want to think that we're trying to find our souls, like our souls chose us. And I think the, what you just shared and and everything about that, like that's what brings back the gratitude for this journey. It's you know, our souls chose us. Yes. Like it's a match. It was not, I mean, if you we can go down a whole rabbit hole of how creation happens and how we come to be and, you know, all that, but yeah. at the core of it, our souls, our souls are choosing this experience. And I, I just, I just, I'm so glad we're, we're just, you're just so great. <laughs> I just... <laughs> I had a feeling we were going to have the best conversation. I just had a feeling like I couldn't explain why. I was just like, I just feel like we need to talk. And, um, yes. and here we are yes. like an hour oh, in having it. the best fucking conversation ever. <laughs> I know clearly our souls chose this moment too. And I am like, so I got so many goosebumps when you were just talking and there's so much. Yes. I feel so inspired by you. So aligned with you. So grateful for this beautiful dance that we've just had of conversation and exchange. And yeah, I'm like so alive right now and so grateful for our connection and for this opportunity and and grateful to everybody who who's going to one day listen and thank you for creating what you're creating on the planet in this conversation and the work that you're doing and and mostly by the the human that you are is how you show up in your in your being every single day thank you so much you're amazing oh you're just <laughs> the best well lindsay talk a little bit about i guess what's just bringing you to life right now in your work and in your offerings like what is just what do you, what's, what's singing in your heart? Oh, we shared a little bit quickly before we came on. I have three major projects that are all really linked by my obsession and passion for human transformation and all the things that we've been talking about. So I have my Alive and Awake, my coaching and speaking and leading retreats down here in Costa Rica where I live. And I, I'm even more passionate and obsessed with this work specifically since the whole pandemic and, and really feeling the collective awakening that's happening with individuals, but also within companies and organizations, people really identifying the importance of, of supporting people in their, in their transformation. So I continue to be obsessed with that work. And from that work, specifically leading retreats down here in Costa Rica, I got this mission from the universe to create the eighth fire, which is really, I just closed on land down here in Costa Rica to create um, a sacred space for transformation with a private retreat center, some private residences and some, some community kind of like a modern day village for modern day nomads. So that is really a physical space that I'll be able to do a lot of this very powerful, potent transformational work with people. And then inspired by all that incredible, beautiful work that I've had the privilege of doing with with humans, I have written a book that's being developed into a TV show, which is all about a kind of modern day couple who have a massive you know, shattering an explosion and they end up going down to, uh, to do some deep healing work in the jungle. And it's really, it's funny and it's sexy and it's, it's all the things, but it's a, it's a TV show in development right now about really inspired by all of the work that I've had the privilege of doing. So those are my three 
biggest um, passions and obsessions right now professionally. I love the the thread, right? At the end of the day, and this is what I think is such a powerful reminder is that it's not the, the labels that we might wear, like I'm a writer, I'm a creator. I don't know. Like at the end of the day, it's your soul expressing through all of it. And your soul here is to help people transform in all exactly. the different ways. And I want to just name one thing because we, we, um, you alluded to, we spoke about it briefly is this, this idea when you are so in alignment with what's being asked of us by the universe, by our souls, as opposed to us driving our agendas, everything starts to fall into place. So for example, on my eighth fire project, which is the, the creation of the sacred space for transformation, I have the most epic team of architects, designers, like Harvard trained, world renowned designers who have, I would call it magically come to me. I didn't even know any of them, but through one person and this and this, the law of attraction when you're in alignment. So I have been able, as you mentioned earlier, to delegate. I have never built an entire village by myself in my entire life, but that wasn't my job. My job was to receive the vision, to articulate the vision and to bring the team together. And through the course of the synchronicities and the availability to the listening and the surrender and to just take one day at a time, even when I've been like literally in the fetal position on the floor crying because I don't know how I'm going to make the next payment or do the next thing. And then magically the next day, somebody shows up and has exactly the amount of money I need. And then the, this person does that in I just want to name that all of the things I just shared, I have epic partners, mm. divinely orchestrated relationships happening, and this this literally team of geniuses surrounding me that I feel humbled every single day to be a part of. And I know that I'm able to experience this simply because I'm so surrendered and so in service. And I openly admit that I have no idea what I'm doing on any front, except I listen and I do what I'm told. And that so far has worked out beautifully. So I, I just want to name that when we're in these states of grace, of allowing, of alignment, everything lines up for us to be easier, more fun, more in flow, and infinitely greater than we could have ever created on our own. Oh, um, Lindsay, I have one last question for you. In the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? Oh, this is such a good question. I'm very, very committed to my morning practice. I have been, I'm very disciplined by nature specifically. So right now I have a, a daily practice. I get up and I surf usually at sunrise, often with either my partner or my daughter and really connecting to nature, being in the ocean in that physical, mental, emotional, spiritual space. And then I also have a deeply rooted yogic practice. So obviously within my yoga practice, it involves some breath work, meditation, but a very kind of very deeply rooted yoga practice. And I have other practices that I practice very regularly. Journaling is a huge practice of mine, specifically when I'm feeling triggered or creatively overwhelmed. I, I tend to use my journal as my grounding space and and I could go on and on music dance I'm very very committed to 
setting the foundation as as you shared about being grounded and and number one at the top of the list is nature being out in nature and then connection to my people my my kids my love my friends my family so those are my main practices mm, the best well i'm so grateful for just your light and all of just your you're just awesome i'm just so grateful that we get to be connected and have each other and in, in each other's lives. So, uh, but everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Lindsay. And from us, Stay Grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.